over the December break, I wrote an article called Reverse Prompt Engineering Notion AI, and that got a lot of interest on Hacker News and uh, an invite to the Tech Meme Ride Home, which is the number 12 tech news podcast in the U.S., and I've been listening for a while. I uh, have clipped things from the Internet History Podcast before. And then um, when Brian McCullough joined TechMeme to do the TechMeme Ride Home, um, I joined in. And I've been a fan for many years. So he invited me to join on and talk a little bit about AI. This is a this is not an interview of me. This is a three-way conversation between me, uh, Brian McCullough, and Chris Messina. So enjoy and see you on the other side. By the way, Sean, uh, please introduce yourself because yes. I, when we said offline, I know you as at SWYX uh, for years and I did, I had to ask you, is your name Sean? So please tell us anything about yourself and then uh, go right in. It, Sean's just, uh, Swix is just my online moniker because I, I grabbed the four letter Twitter handle back when you could get four letter Twitter handles. Uh, apparently they've uh, turned it off now, but uh, hi, thanks thanks for inviting me. Um, so Brian, like yeah, you you've you've seen me around because I was a huge fan of the Internet History podcast, uh, and it's funny because you did the uh, distant past, and now we're doing the very very uh, right present. I, yeah, I like to say sometimes to people that um, I think I even put this on some ads inside the Internet History podcast if anyone downloads it. Hey, if you listen to the Tech Meme Right Home, you can hear me talk about history today as it's being made. So yeah, thank you so much. I'm just saying, we see this transition from history to news. Um, but yeah, so I was, uh, I've been in the server firm of the Tech Meet Right at Home for, from day one, and um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, um, and my path is, so I, I come at this from the point of view of, I'm a developer. Uh, I, you know, I, I previously was in finance, I was in hedge funds uh, for six years. And then switched to development, mostly to start to try to build my own products, and then eventually got sidetracked into working for infrastructure companies like Netlify and then AWS, uh, and I currently work at a data infrastructure company. Um, I think this this AI wave is is huge. It, it kind of caught me off guard because like I kind of was observing the progress in AI, and and you know I I I have made comments in the past where like you know this is sort of the Moore's law of our time, like whatever. There's, there's kind of no name for this right now, but uh, the, the exponential progress that we're seeing is following the sort of power scaling laws that we used to see in semiconductors, which is kind of uh, tapped out these days. Um, so around about uh, last year, and a few months, let's see, five months ago, I started tracking all this stuff and I've been writing pieces, but also tracking a lot of research in my uh, AI notes. And that's the main thing that people have been um using me for because uh, you know a big part of what, how I learn stuff is I learn in public so uh, I have a huge sort of repository of like just notes on everything and uh, sort of organized in, in that sense um, and uh, yeah I think the the, the the proximate cause for why you invited me on today was because I published this piece on reverse prompt engineering for Notion AI um, so maybe I'll, I'll introduce that context if uh, unless there's anything else you want me to talk about no yeah go, go right ahead yeah so um you know, I think I think this co this conversation with VoiceFlow is is indicative as well, right? Like, um, is AI a feature or a product? And uh, it seems like it is actually kind of a feature. Like, a, a bunch of companies are just building it in. You know, they're just kind of steamrolling over this new trend. Um, and and it's it, it's kind of hard to differentiate yourself because all these research and all these APIs are essentially available to anyone determined enough to figure it out. And so Notion has done it, and uh, and pretty much the only proprietary thing are the props. 
Um, and I actually, I, I was, I was digging through sort of the voice flow, um, Twitter feed. And I, I saw one of their developers talking about how like, you know, their, their, their intellectual property is prompt design, uh, <laughs> which is prompt engineering, but like, you know, a recent, pretty, pretty recent discovery from Riley Goodside, who now works at Scale.ai, is that you can pretty much ask the language model to tell you the prompts and and therefore leave <laughs> it like a lid. Uh, and nice. prompt injection after uh, SQL injection, which is a pretty much a similar thing in the traditional development world. Um, and this was primarily theoretical uh, until someone actually tried hard enough to do it on a live thing. And then that was me on Notion AI. So Notion AI launched um, like a month ago, I got access a couple of weeks ago, um, and then uh, I, you know, I, I took two hours to get the entire source source prompts of all of Notion AI, um, and I posted it on Hacker News. And uh, funny enough, the Notion people were actually on there, uh, and they said I got one wrong, which is the the hardest one. Uh, and there there are some prompts that are more difficult to pwn than others, um, but I think I pretty much got got most of them. Um, and yeah, I, I think that illustrates the difficulty of building a business on top of AI. Like, first of all, if you don't own the model, you're building an API, uh, you're building on top of an API, then you're right. <laughs> she, uh, is the prompts and the prompts can get pwned. So wh what are you building really? Uh, it's user. But, okay. But, but uh, let's set that aside for a second. Let's set aside the, because you could say that for anything, uh, Building your business on top of another platform, you never are on firm ground or whatever. But um, what I ask, is it ready for prime time? Do you feel like it is for making a go of it, right? What are we making a go towards? <laughs> uh, building a business. All right. It, it, okay. okay. Let, let me Let me do this. Let, let's let's jump into my experiments uh, this past weekend because I did two YouTube videos, which I mentioned on the show. And the reason is, is because, you know, I've been hearing about these things and I, I like everyone else, I've been playing around and uh, doing experiments and, oh, haha, look at what it, it returned to me. But I was like, OK, what as much as I'm loath to admit it, what do I do? I'm a content creator, right? So I wanted to see how far I could get creating content, right? So I... I did uh it was all with chat gpt i did two topics that i had recently gone down rabbit holes with where it was um uh it was robinson caruso based on a real story it is except i can't remember the guy's name and then the other one was the um the the crystal palace that was built for the the great exhibition of what was it 1855 or something like that um and so everything in those videos in terms of the the voiceover that you hear and the content uh, came from ChatGPT. The biggest part of it, well, in terms of the workload, was going to um, Google Images to find the images to put into the video. Which, by the way, that's another topic we could get into. Like, what perfectly positioned? You didn't even guess the artwork. Well, no. Uh, look, I, this was an experiment. I could go down <laughs> that road to see if I could. Also, although some of the some of the tools I, I was using was suggesting, if you watch the one about the Robinson Crusoe, like uh -huh. those videos of the um, the island and stuff, those were suggested by that particular tool. I was using many tools. Okay. Um, but but so this is the point, and I, I, I know I'm I'm going on, but I'll, I'll get to in a sec. First of all, I would describe sort of kind of what Sean was saying too, like working with ChatGPT is sort of like working with clay if you're wearing oven mitts. So it's like, if you say, 
was Robinson Crusoe based on a true story? Give it to me in 3,000 words. Well, it won't do that. It'll give it to you in 500 words, and it'll do it sort of like a high school essay where it'll have a lot of flowery words at the introduction and flowery words at the conclusion, but like the stuff that you want, like facts and stories, in the middle, it'll limit you. So you have to know the story, and you have to say, okay, you, you, you just summarize this in, in 500 words. Tell me how he survived on the island, and then it'll give you another couple hundred words. Then you say, how, what happened to him after he was rescued, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You have to basically brute force make it give you the detail, if you know the details ahead of time. The thing I think that what you're describing is, and, and again, mm. if you just sort of understand like a large language model, really it's a set of probabilities. Mm. You know, it's, right. it's, a, it's a graph network and there's kind of, and maybe I'm oversimplifying and, and, you know, obviously I'm not as technical as I could be about this, but you're thinking about this like mesh of relationships between all the words in, in mm. this grid of words to sort of quote Alan Watts. And essentially there's a probability of what's going to come next and essentially these things are all interrelated and sort of self-referential, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So you have to ask a question for which there would be a probabilistic set of kind of right. follow-ons as opposed to like an open-ended, you know, what is the purpose of the universe or something? And it'll hallucinate an answer, right? What, what I was not able to do was say, give me 3,000 words on whether or not Robinson Crusoe was based on a true story, right? Uh, sure. And probably they're putting those guardrails there on purpose, right? Um, it, maybe the technology is already there. But again, the analogy of working with play with oven mitts on. Um, I'll give you another example. I'm reading a book about um, uh, the making of 2001 A Space Odyssey, the movie, right? And so now as I'm reading that book, I'm thinking of how, okay, what if I wanted to generate a six-part podcast series about the making of 2001? I would have to ask ChatGPT for you know, um, uh, Kubrick's career before 2001 and then a separate query for how, like you have to tease out if you want it to give you the details that you're looking for. Do you know what I'm saying? So in a way yeah. you kind of have to already be an expert in the thing. Um, and so I'm going to finish up here by saying, as I was doing this, I'm not going to do this, but I was imagining what if I started a business where I create things that are like history or explainer content things, right? Mm. Well, I know now if if I if I know the topic and I know how to write the correct prompts and queries, I could create entirely through ChatGPT enough content that then I could feed into these um, AI speaking tools, text to, to to speech tools that I could a generate let's say six episodes of a half hour long podcast on how 2001 a space odyssey was created i could then also do the same thing with a youtube video as long as i'm willing to take the time to find the images to sit with that right um so again i was going through the lens of a creator and i was thinking okay this is pretty far down the road it's not there yet but I was interested to see that like, yeah. And also the interesting thing was, again, you can't just have the AI do it for you. You kind of have to know the topic ahead of time to be able to prompt it well enough to get it to do what you want. Does that make sense? I mean, I think what you're, the, the funny thing about how you're approaching this 
is sort of procedurally how you as a creator might use this to generate you know, content on a number of topics that you might be interested in, as opposed to imagining this from, and, and maybe I, like, I don't want to go too deep into the, the nefarious like end or dimension of this, but you brought up SEO today on, on the pod. Yeah, there's so many different angles to this. Yeah, go on. And I'm, I'm very, very concerned. Like, let me just, I'll, I'll step back a little bit as a way to address kind of what you're saying, right? Because you're kind of taking this approach, which feels, you know, relatively, you know, positive, like productive. Like even if you were to do this, let's say for your kids to like teach them something and you have a certain way that you'd like to teach them Robinson Crusoe or something like that, you could have a collaboration with one of these, you know, AI models, whether it's ChatGPT or something else. You, like I've seen a number of launches on Product Hunt of kids' books that will use generative art to bring in kids into the stories and, you know, regenerate, you know, like the Swiss Family Robinson or something, um, artwork to include and incorporate members of the family once you've trained it, you know, on the faces of the family, right? Like, that's cool. That's interesting. That's creative. That's novel. It makes media some, somewhat, something like more self, um, well, self-expressive. On the flip side of that, there are some nefarious directions that this is obviously going to go in. And I think it's, I mean, it's already happening. I think you mentioned the story today about how CNET has been using uh, AI to generate articles. As I mentioned, the the SEO thing, which is, I hadn't thought of that. I don't know why, because I've been planning an SEO battle professionally for 25 years now, but that, that's got to be happening and has been happening. We know that. I've fought those battles. It seems to me that like like Forbes is going to become like the first ever completely AI generated publication because I don't even want to say respect because some of their articles are just shit. But like, you know, to the degree that humans are applying any of their abilities to write these articles that are just clickbaity and full of nonsense, right? Like that is going to be completely overrun by essentially these AI content, you know, farms. And the question is, how do they get better and better? And they're going to be super optimized, just like TikTok is, to whatever people click on and whatever people respond to. So this raises a very interesting and important, somewhat profound question. I think in in and maybe we're sort of like zooming out now. And Sean, I apologize, but like to the, the question of what Google is going to do and to the hegemony essentially that Google has over people's ability to use the internet to find information. Because it feels to me like my relationship with Google and the trust that I have with Google has been eroded over years and years of commercialization and essentially kind of like content farming of the internet, moving it into this kind of like jail slash mall experience where everyone is trying to manip manipulate me to end up on their site to subscribe to some newsletter so they can continue to pummel me with information to eventually arrive at a sale of like a 15 or $20 item. And now if you put AI on the, on the same goal, just like uh, Braden was saying, you know, if, if the goal of, on the other hand, not the consumer, but the business is to convert someone to become someone who hands over their, their hard earned dollars to buy something. And now we have an entire advertising apparatus, which is run off of, or essentially is powered by a lot of these AI uh, capabilities. Like the human mind, I think is, is, is not necessarily, I did not that we aren't, but not necessarily fully capable of being able to distinguish and to deflect the onslaught that seems to me inevitable, unless we put either some, some brakes on the system or, you know, like uh, awareness of when these AIs are being used to generate content and to manipulate us into certain outcomes or hats. Yes. Yes. And Sean, <laughs> if, if you have, if you, if you have thoughts on that specifically, uh, please jump in here. If not, I have a question to bring it around that I want your take on. 
Uh, I am actually working on a piece about Google versus AI, essentially. So I, mm. I, I have a great, the, the great title is, uh, should Sundar have called the cold red? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, it's a tell, tell us, do you think he should have? Him personally, like he's actually taken over uh, product management for uh, Google search because this is such an existential threat for Google. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's it. But like you guys touched on a lot of elements uh, and I don't know where exactly to start. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll want to shout out a couple of things from other people that I, I've been sort of posting up on the Jumbotron here. Uh, I think people call it a Jumbotron, right? Whatever. Huh, uh, the Nest. But I like Jumbotron actually. Yeah. 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 The sure knows. Uh, so, um, Benedict Evans had a, had a really good take on this uh, AI versus Google debate, um, which is like we use search for a number of things, and um, you know we are we're primed to search on one uh, from from multiple di- uh, multiple dimensions, and and these sort of chat interfaces will take part of that use case, but not uh, probably not uh, you know a, a good chunk of the other stuff that Google is like, already very good at. Um, and also, if you want to have a glimpse of the future, there are a number of Chrome extensions out there that let you run ChatGPT alongside of Google, um, so that every Google search that you do automatically runs both, um, and you can sort of see if that would be more useful already. Um, I think that is one element that um, people don't appreciate now that uh, you know UAI, Neva, uh, Neva, all these sort of alternative search engines have already released uh, AI search models, and they're not that good. Like I, I think to some extent people are hungry for a real credible threat to Google because it's essentially been unchallenged for 20 years. Uh, this is part of my point, which is that Google has gotten very bad in many respects. Like for example, I'm planning a trip to, to Greece in March and I'm very, very scared literally of typing anything into Google, not only because the ads will then follow me around everywhere, but because everything has been so optimized to try to convert that they are lowering the cost of, of dollars that they're spending on their service, whether it's a hotel or whether it's a car, whatever, whatever it is, in order to just get the click from Google to then convert me into a customer. And I would much rather the incentives be realigned so that really the best service in the world is the one that is you know, promoted to me, if not promoted, like show to me. And I feel like Google has lost the authority around that dimension. Now, for, for comparison, I've gone to ChatGPT and I've asked it to plan a, an itinerary for me in Greece and to you know give me different ideas for where to go for restaurants. Now, even if the data is a little bit stale, it's still presented in a format that is not offensive to like my nervous system that allows me to just like read through the information, consider it, and then decide for myself how I want to go forward as opposed to seeing sort of a wall of, I mean, it's like walking to like Times Square and trying to sort of like, you know, decide like, where do I want to like sleep at, at some point? Like everything is blaring at me. So I do think that, you know, you're right. And that this, this moment in time kind of allows us to reconceive of what the purpose of search on the internet is supposed to be like and how it's supposed to feel and how a conversational interface or paradigm allows us to have an interface that isn't a set of rectangles that again, are trying to manipulate us. Instead, we can have kind of a, a more meandering conversation that allows us to explore the possibility space as opposed to being directed as fast as possible to whatever, whoever paid the most. Well, that's true. But also what you saying that reminded me of something that other people have said is, is how much we've been trained by Google over the last 25 years to be like, um, okay, if you remember pre-Google, it was like, okay, I ask a question and I have to search through five pages to get something even relevant or much less the answer to my question. Google's gotten good, but, but we're still already so trained that like, 
maybe the first page is it or, or i know that the first result i have to scroll through it and read to get my answer you know what i mean so I we, we have say have yeah have already been trained but it's just like it's like we've been trained in this like really kind of awkward dance for like clicking like opening multiple tabs right of first search results kind of going through them feeling mo- it's almost like you know spending three hours on tiktok which fortunately I haven't done but like at the end of it you kind of feel dissatisfied and like you kind of ended up with a bunch of things that you're not quite sure if they were like the best result and then you know it's it's i'm sort of like imagining that meme where it's like the hot girlfriend or whatever and he's like looking back and seeing the other one it's sort of like mm-hmm. suddenly chat gpt comes out and you're like oh my god that is like amazing like why is it more like that and even if to sean's point like you know it kind of sucks and like neva ai and you.com or like whatever kind of like the early examples of this aren't really that good nonetheless it feels like because of the abuse that we've suffered from google yeah having not been checked like seeing this other thing which is you know not that good and is prone to hallucination and is prone to like bro and like all sorts of other you know things that you don't want in a search experience it's so much cleaner and clearer and it just is like kind of like a straightforward, like, all right, this is a bot kind of like telling me some things and it kind of summarizes the web, but it's doing it in a way where the underlying motivation behind each thing that is being shown to me isn't someone else kind of like, you know, this puppet master pulling the strings in a way that I don't understand as the the person who's performed the search. So we're, we're talking about search and, 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 and answering questions or like, again, creating content by asking questions or whatever. But Sean, like, is what we're describing, and again, using the analogy of clay and 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 oven mitts like what about the other uses like uh, like for writing code and things like that is it still sort of like that you got to beat the clay against the wall a couple times like other use cases what are, what are people seeing with other use cases do we know oh it is so good at code <laughs> which one is so good at code <laughs> it's the higher gbt variants um gbt family of, of uh, models it's really good it's not perfect uh there's there are a lot of bugs with the with the code that uh, it often generates, um, but uh, you know, in my world, all the developers are just uh, absolutely floored by how good it is. Um, to convert everything from converting, you know, PHP to JavaScript or, or writing um, uh, YAML configurations and and debugging like um, you know AWS or or Kubernetes configurations, like it just knows so much because there's so much code in the training data. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, the first thing that you do as a programmer at OpenAI is probably to try to train it on some code so that it helps you write uh, more code. <laughs> and so I think, um, I think the, 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 it, um, the code elements is, is definitely one of the more outstanding pieces. Um, I, one of my pinned tweets on the Jumbotron here is the second one where uh, I was observing, you know, I, I think what we're seeing when bumping up against is, um, it's still very early days for, uh, for, for this uh, chat system. And yeah, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a much better user experience as Chris pointed out. Um, but it's not super reliable, right? Like you actually, with all the confidence that you, you ascribe to the output, you actually don't know if it just made up something. Um, therefore, it's fine if you can research it subsequently, but um, it, it gets very sketchy if you rely on it for something that you have no knowledge, domain knowledge about, which is a you know, which is something that we talked about earlier. Right, which is a bit almost like even if you don't if you don't know how two thousand one was made, you can't get <laughs> the, the 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 bot to tell you. The facts that you know it should be telling you, you're right. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, honestly, like, maybe it's just not there yet, but 
I mean, it's such early days. Like uh, what we're just seeing is, you know, if you could just zoom out and, and add five years to this, um, it could be, it could very well get there, right? Like, so honestly, uh, I, I, I kind of feel like people criticizing uh, this stuff based on its failures are, are being very selective and not looking at the broader trend of the exponential progress that's being made. Um, just wait a few years and, you know, whatever you're worried about might get solved. Um, I'm not saying it's a guarantee. Um, and I, I will say, I will say, I'll call out uh, the code use case and then the transformation use case where you can internally check the validity of uh, whatever it gives uh, as, as output. So you're not so much using it as search as a, a, a just a general assistant um, that is currently, you know, I, I think people have been mm. IQ level. Uh, they've been doing, they've been doing a bunch of it. Yeah, I saw that. Level, the SAP level, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe like a middle schooler, right? Or high schooler. Um, the intelligence is, is growing every single year. Um, so uh, it, it's it's super impressive in that way. And if you don't use it for things that it's not good at, then, then probably you have a better time of it. And one thing that I just want to like add to this that I think is interesting, and I'm coming from the, the product lens, because one of the questions that Brian has is, you know, is it ready for prime time? Um, I've been talking to a lot of makers and founders, of course, you know, helping them launch a product on, and many are, are still, I would say, kind of in a world where they're behaving as though these technologies don't exist. And it's very hard for me to not push back and kind of ask them like what the GPT or kind of AI assistant angle is for their product. In other words, there, there are people who, who still want to launch, you know, website builders that are all manual. And especially if you're kind of like mocking a page with uh, like mocking up a page with titles and headlines and like body copy and testimonials, there really is no reason for you not to take advantage of these tools to enhance or enrich the examples and the samples to make it just more believable and, and more seemingly authentic. Now, th that creates a different set of kind of, I think, concerns and considerations. But in terms of a tool, I, I, I guess like what, what I'm going to be watching for this year is the degree to which there are still, you know, kind of, it's, all, it's almost like, you know, electric cars versus like, you know, uh, conventional, you know, gas powered engines. Like, who is, is moving over fully to embrace these things with an assumption that this is the future and that this is how you build tools, mm. software and technology going forward versus who are those who either are resistant, they don't want to learn it, they you know just don't see the use case, or they're like, yeah, whenever it's a toy, and so therefore are not going to embrace it. And I think that that divide, like if you don't start learning now- A real generation gap. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of like saying, yeah. well, I'm not going to build for the iPhone in 2007. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, everyone is like lapped you and, you know, you're really, really stuck. I mean, Chris, I, I know, I know folks old enough that they didn't want to develop for the web because I mean, I'm sure there are people that are still alive that would only develop for mainframes, you know, <laughs> all the FAA engineers. Oh, apparently. Uh, <laughs> let me, let me, let me, do one more. This is my last one for my experiments, but I, because I okay. want to do this because it'll come into your concerns. Uh, yes. Okay. So I did, um, as people heard and everyone hated, I used three different tools. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Oh, people hated it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually we'll get to that. We'll get to that because this is interesting. Yes. So uh, whatever show it was Tuesday or Wednesday, I, I, you know, did a couple segments with different voices and I used different tools. And so this is, it wasn't chat GPT. It was, I took my script, put it into text to, uh, translate or text to audio or whatever, whatever it's called. Um, and people hated it, but it came out the same friggin' day that Microsoft announced. Well, no, cause they announced it the week before it just hit the news that day. Volley. Yeah. Volley. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, number one, I really want people, and Microsoft, again, if you're listening, let me work with you on this because I could see already how, and I'm sure people have already tooled this out, like just allow me to add a, a italics or caps or like the ability to tweak the emotion behind the voice. Because if you listen to the Entirely about in- intonation, like because what yes, you mentioned. Yes. Okay, and let me let me clear, clear this up for anybody who's listening. Like, sure. Essentially, the experiment was to create voices that would essentially take Brian's script for the Technium mm-hmm. Ride Home show and would speak it either in a voice that was sort of like a quoted voice, and so it's sort of like you'd be like, oh, and so you know, Sundar said blah, and then blah would be said by an AI voice. Mm-hmm. In other cases, I believe you had entire stories or segments. Um, segments, yeah. That were done in the AI voice. And what would happen is sometimes, you know, you would have like dollar nuts and those would not be spoken correctly. In other cases, you would have names and they would not be spoken correctly. Or you, there wouldn't have the emotion of but that's it. That's it. Because now if you listen to those two YouTube videos as a as a sort of narrator, and, and we had the stories this week or last week about how um audiobooks are moving to AI, right? As a narrator in those YouTube videos, I thought it was so good that I was like, okay, let me try this on the show. Well, on the show, it didn't work, not just because, you know, all of the gobbledygook that I have to say about different, you know, uh, language terms and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But also because, and I've said this a million times, like one of the things I learned to do the show very early on is if you don't perform it, it sounds like I'm reading to you, right? That's right. And everyone that got in touch with me and was like, I hated that. I turned it off and like, it put me to sleep, which I could hear that too. Because versus a narration of a YouTube video. Yeah, look, I think I think what you're saying is this. Like, essentially, and I totally agree, because, like, I listened to those episodes, and I was like, ooh, this is, like, it's mm-hmm. better than it's been, but it's still shit. Like, yeah. What you're saying, and I think this, this is so interesting and so important, and why creativity really needs to be an element that's, you know, like, preserved in this move, is because if you're just reading it just functionally, right? Like, if Siri reads an email to you, if I had a Microsoft Word like ribbon at the top where I could tweak things, like it would take a while to learn it and to tweak this and stuff. But again, add italics, put this in bold, make exclamation points mean something. <laughs> oh my god, the thing that you're saying is so interesting, right? Because you're almost like saying yeah. it's like it's like it's it's creating music notation, but for yes. the spoken word. And yes. imagine being able to conduct, and I'm sure some of this already exists because you have voice actors, has actors, has so, right? That there's some element and there's all these different, I don't know, the typographics of, you know, voice performance. And I know that voice um, technology actually does have some of this, but if you're saying to make this available, let's say like in Descript, right? A tool that allows you mm-hmm. to write the text and then perform it oral, orally, uh, and then to add the emphasis, right? We, we use, you know, italics and bold in text to offer some of that but there might be a whole new set of phonetics that needs to be developed for people to express that the the music or the composer analogy is very apt and what i want to report to you is i could see just by doing that experiment this week that we're almost there yeah we're 95 percent there now do people want to do that well i would because i have to edit an hour and a half every day the audio after I, I mean, it takes me a half an hour to record it and I have an hour and a half to edit it. If I, I could get very adept very quickly. If you gave me the tools, if you could train the audio on my voice and then, you know, like even forget about uh, italics and bowling. Like what if, again, like to use the, the, the music analogy, what if I could move a bar up and down like a waveform, right? 
or just like add emphasis, right? To add emphasis, exactly. So what I want to report to you is we're almost there, right? Yeah. And this is how I'm going to bring it to your concerns. Mm. Okay, Brian, don't be lazy. Part of your job is to do the, the two hours of production after the writing that you have to do every day. But here's what, this is legitimately one of the things that I was thinking about when I was doing this. I haven't taken a vacation where I stopped doing the show for a week since the show began. I've taken days off. I've had a guest host, but I haven't had a guest host since COVID. And we want to go to Ireland this spring. And I was thinking, well, what if? <laughs> what if one of the voices was good enough that I could just take my computer, write the script, feed it into the thing, and um, maybe people might hate it. But people hate it when I have a guest host. Uh, Glenn Fleischman, God love him. Every time I had him fill in, people are like, well, and, and I want to say, you know, one of the suggestions I would make is you all are trained on my cadences. So anything <laughs> is jarring to you. So you possibly have the highest standards to, to meet, uh, which are almost impossible, right? Like, I, I feel like there's a bit of goalpost moving here. Like, hey. <laughs> Uh, that long ago, Texas speech wasn't that good, and now it's people are replicating like Joe Rogan voices. And right, right. You have Descript, where uh, you know you and I chatted uh, before you did that episode, and you were like, Descript is too slow, right? Uh, but like, it has overdub, and it, it you could yeah. voice, but you you didn't do it. Well, um, okay. So so think about the morality of this, and then this is my putting a bow on this part. Mm-hmm. What if I had felt like, no, that's good enough, and instead of hiring Glenn to do the week when I'm in Ireland, uh, because I'll, I'll be upfront with it. Like it, it, it's at least $3,000 that I have to pay somebody to take over my show for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, and that's on the low end because you know, but so right there, you have a job taken away from a freelancer mm-hmm. Yep. for something, a service that I would pay at max $50 a month for. Man. Oof. Yeah. Well, if you need a New Year's resolution idea, I've got a suggestion. Stop putting it off and finally get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is the easy all online solution you've been waiting for. Life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated, but Fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience. It's all online and on your time. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policies in less than 10 minutes. And Fabric's new lower prices could mean potentially significant savings over other providers with great quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. It takes less than 10 minutes to apply, see your quote, and then personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. You could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash ride. That's meetfabric.com slash ride. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash ride. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. 
like that streaming service you bought to watch just one show on, or that free trial you never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com ride. That's rocketmoney.com ride. Rocketmoney.com ride. And you're the prime market. Like There, there is no better market than you. Brian, I, yeah. I, think, I think Sean is right. Like, not only yeah. is this a little bit about moving the goalposts, and thinking about what is, because I understand you're taking the perspective of the, of the creator and I'm totally with you. I'm kind of going down that path. However, I, I guess like what I'm, I'm not so sure about is if this is the right use case for these types of technologies because <laughs> of what I was saying about Google when it comes to trust. One of the reasons why people reject Glenn, even though he's great, or, you know, your synthetic media experiments is because they trust you. They want to hear from you. Like there is a a human relationship that has been built up, it may be parasympathetic, that has evolved, yes. expanded, hold on, over time. Mm -hmm. And so replacing you, actually, like even if it's with a synthetic voice, lowers the the ease with which someone can consume the content from you because they know that you actually produced it. And so if you use a computer to speak mm -hmm. even the things that you have written, that is cheapening the relationship in a way that actually undermines what the, the listener is expecting and wanting from you. Well, let me let me poke at that. Sure. I agree with you. I listened back and it made me fall asleep and I wrote the shit. So that already makes me fall asleep because I did it. But um, <laughs> I could hear that. Again, I perform things. I write it to sound interesting. I perform it to sound interesting, not like I'm reading off a script. And it's not at that level. But what if it was? And what if I could do the things like, you know, you move the, Sorry, uh, no, this. but let me, let me, let me finish my thought, which, which, and I agree with you, right? So okay. if I, if I expand or extend your, your thought to its conclusion, which is it gets good enough that we could allow you to go on your week long vacation. If you knew that I wrote the, the script, right. if you so, knew that they were my thoughts and words, would you care? So two things. One, if you set the expectation ahead of time, there's still going to be plenty of people who want maybe miss. Like, I feel like you'd have to be for a full week. Next week is the AI. The AI is going to be speaking to you. And so just deal with it. I'm still writing it, but like, I don't have the time to do the production. Maybe you could get away with it and, you know, people would forgive you and sort of be like, yes, Brian needs a vacation. And so we're willing to entertain this AI voice, you know, which has good cadence and kind of sounds like him for mm -hmm. some limited period of time. What I'm also saying though, is that the more, and, and actually think about this specifically for a number of things and you mentioned it, is because the use case for this type of technology in the short term, and I mean, you know, this year is going to be to synthesize narration for tens of thousands, if not millions of written books that have never yes, audio yes. format before. And I'm saying that for a number of reasons. One is because we did just see Apple come out with this, which is called digital narration. And so obviously their text-to-speech technology has gotten better. Uh, Google uses this for their assistant for reading the news. So when you talk to Google in the morning, you say, hey, Google, you know, good morning. It'll essentially respond and synthesize a set of news articles that were written in text. And those Which is what I do. <laughs> exactly, right? So there's that. Then there's, I'm seeing Spotify doing the same thing. Now, obviously, Spotify is deeply in the, the audiobook space now. But now they're they're taking um, actually I just discovered this today 
they have a feature called read aloud, which is translating, I believe, written text and then converting it into an audio, like a synthetic audio form so that they can reach the global market faster than let's say Amazon. And Amazon currently has like human narration and the Kindle book. So you buy both as two different purchases. Oh, I do that all the time. Right. Spotify, I think Spotify wants to merge that. So you have one license to the book in audio form and written form. And then it's, that's how they will compete. Anyways, the point is what I'm saying is that these technologies are much better for vast troves of previously non-audio yeah. content. And as uh, Sean pointed out in one of his pinned tweets, to convert from X to Y because it's just content and that the media of the content no longer is the barrier to moving it from one form to another. And people are willing to consume less good versions if otherwise the cost would be infinite because the thing didn't exist. In your case, the the cost to the listener is infinite because they can get the real thing, which is you and your real voice and all the trust they built up over time. So right. that's the way to, to differentiate this. What has trust and what doesn't require trust? And that is a better way, I think, to think about where synthetic media is going to have the most impact. Let me let me take this let, let me take this back to the experiment of oh, what if I could do a six episode podcast series about the making of two thousand one of Space Odyssey? Let me let me ref let me name the book I'm reading right now. Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick, Arthur C. Clarke, and the Making of a Masterpiece, written by Michael Benson. I'm reading it right now. If I read that book and I kept notes of, okay, prompts that I could put into ChatGPT, and what that would do for me is essentially be able to do a six-episode podcast series that I only could do because I was reading the book in real time, but I'm not... I'm not breaking the copyright of Michael Benson, right? Um, now, I wrote a book, and in a sense, being a writer in that, not writing a novel, but writing nonfiction, that is kind of what you're doing. You read a bunch of inputs, mm -hmm. and then you put them into, mm -hmm. you synthesize it, and you put it into your own words. The only thing that's different is that they're not my words. They're ChatGPT's words, and also... All of the things, well, not all the things. Uh, Michael Benson, I'm sure you did tons and tons of research, research with the Kubrick, but but a lot of the things that you could get came from the internet, mm. which is what ChatGPT was trained on. So already the copyright has been <laughs> stolen. Look, you know, so so here here's here's like just a, a concept that I think you know we can bring this to a close. Like more and more things are becoming like songs and music. You know, notes exist. You know, they're sort of like. It's like, this is going to sound so dumb to a lot of people, but like, it's like physics, you know, there, there are molecules, there are, uh, you know, there's the periodic table of elements, just like there are musical notes and the combination of those notes over time, over duration, over all the different tools that you have to make music allows us to have an infinite amount of expression. Now, what you're describing, and I think what we're talking about is taking the thoughts in your mind and the specific and unique synthesis that you're able to provide over a corpus of information, you know, whether it's about Space Odyssey 2001 or whatever, and that the way that you emit that information, if you are collaborating with an AI to generate the sound, it's like it's it's like a synthesizer, but it's like a synthesizer for words. And we've had since you know synthetic music since the 70s, the 80s now, and well, and those arguments happened when those yes, exactly. Yes. So we're starting to apply, you know, what used to be for more almost how to put it like almost like mathematical signals, which is just music. 
now into like longer form thoughts and structures. And it feels like it'll, I mean, it is going to be disruptive to knowledge and the way that we consume knowledge and the way that we produce knowledge. But it also, and I think this is the thing that's the optimistic way, you know, to end this is that it'll produce new forms of and new types of constructs. Like in other words, the act of you producing the show doesn't have to be the way, or, or the Tech Ryan Hope, doesn't have to be the same way that it's always been. Just like writing a book and the act of writing a book doesn't have to be the way that it has always been. I mean, whether it's a ghostwriter that is a human or a ghostwriter that is an AI, the point is that we are synthesizing observations and, and awareness and knowledge and experience into structures and forms that other people can then consume to then share in our experience or the way that we see the world or the things that we know that other people don't know. And about propagating that information as far and wide as possible, while ideally having some, I don't know, controls or structures or moderation on the the veracity of that information and the applicability of that information. So I suppose like I think it's it's fascinating one to sort of be in this moment of time to be thinking through some of these questions, to be taking the approach that I think you're taking from it, which is like this direct question, I'm a creator, how do I use these things? To thinking a little bit differently about what it is that you actually do. Right? What is what is what is the service that Brian provides to the world? What is the product that Brian provides? It is actually your perspective. It is actually the yeah. way that it is the zip file that Brian produces every day of all the news that is out there. You are the receiver of tens of thousands of pieces of information, and you can compress it and condense it in a way that then you know you write the script and it helps us to then you do the pre-digestion. You're like one of those like little bird mommies, you know, that sort of like you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I spit it back into your mouth. That's exactly. a great image. It's yes. going right into my brain. And like, at least for me, obviously, and I think this is true for Sean, you know, we listen because of that service that you provide. And so by interrupting it with, I mean, the conveyance of the information actually is one of the ways in which you convey the trustworthiness of the information. It's like the the signature, right? It's like the, you know, the, the sort of, what is it? The public key encryption that allows us to trust the information coming out of your podcast is authentic. Yes. And you're yes. talking about fucking with that. And I think that's why this is like hard to have this conversation because you need to be very careful to be like, by the way, next week, the public key is not going to match, but it's still coming from me. And then I'll be back the following week. Well, listen, uh, I, I will be very jealous of my uh, franchise. So it's not like I'm, I'm abandoning <laughs> how I do things tomorrow. But, and by the way, you know, if, if listeners were wondering why I was doing this. If, if Chris, you were wondering why I thought this would be good fodder for that. It's because of this. Mm. It's because no, I wanted- It was a practice for your vacation. I get it. I, I, want, <laughs> I wanted to see, number one, how far the tools were along. Could you build a business around these things You know, for my investing and things like that? And number two, uh, are there easier ways for me to do my job? And number three, these philosophical questions, because and I'll, I'll end with this and then we'll let Sean uh, have final thoughts as well. Um, you just said- that the public key or the 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 value is is how I regurgitate. And what I felt philosophically running these experiments was, yes, I'm the only one that will regurgitate tomorrow's news for you the way that my brain would do it. But you now have the ability to spin that dial 10,000 times with zero marginal costs and zero additional effort. Hmm. So that whether you need me to do it or not is not actually what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is as the creator, if it's just a dial that I can spend, I can only do it one way for you tomorrow, which is the way that all of my inputs and efforts will result in tomorrow. But I'm seeing tools now 
for creating and developing where me as the creator, what my role becomes is, you know what? That 30 minutes of audio I don't like, spin the dial. That 30 minutes of audio, I don't like spin the dial. And I already do that on a functional level where it's like, I don't like that take, add it, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. But now it's like that. So in the same way that when I went to film school in 1996, I still learned how to cut film manually with acetate and, and, and you know. You know, you know what sucks? Sorry, like as you're saying this, the thing that sucks is that actually you didn't capture and store all of the cuts that you didn't keep because that negative training data could have actually been super valuable to get to this well, that's goal standard. Yeah, that would- I've thought of doing that. I've thought of doing that. Um, yeah, so to end my point is philosophically what this taught me this week is that again, and we've talked about this in other various contexts, it's mm-hmm. you're still going to need sort of the priesthood and the, the conductor that can make the AI work and maybe that will become a skill that is valuable. But I'm seeing already the ways that it's it's just going to be spinning dials and moving levers. Yep. And you just do the input and then it's just how you, it's like cooking. It's how much spice you want to add or whatever. Yeah. Totally. Sean? There's so many things to respond there. Um, I, I would say, uh, I think that when people talk about prompt engineering, it is a temporary fix. Um, and the people who are building businesses are going to have to go into fine tuning and building proprietary models. Um, and you are already seeing examples of this from people trying to build businesses on top of it. Um, uh, I can give you a number of them, but uh, Peter Levels uh, is- you go, ahead, go ahead and name a few, sure. Yeah, well, okay, fine. So so I would say probably the first most interesting example, because you know I think you, you, you keep coming back to this question of like, is it is it ready for prime time? And you know my question back to you would be, well, how much money is prime time? Because um, it's eighty million dollars prime time in mm. two years, and uh, Jasper AI got that right. Like zero to two, zero to, to eighty million dollars in two years is pretty impressive, and, and I mean that sounds like prime time to me. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, similarly for uh, you know some of their co- uh, competitors that copy AI and headline, um, all of them reach yeah. like, extraordinary uh, profits or, or revenues. Um, in in a very short amount of time, but then also the uh, they seem very faddish. So um, we don't have public numbers for uh, the the text generation companies, but we do have public numbers for the image generation companies. And virtually all of them that had that went in for the initial gold rush uh, have seen um, slumps of of revenue after the the initial hype. Um, so Lensa AI is the primary company that yeah that won the um, the sort of AI generated profile pick thing, and their revenues are public essentially on App Store rankings. Um, and uh, Chris, have have you seen that chart where uh, their their revenues spike to like a million dollars a day? Yes, yes, yes. Pretty pretty shocking uh, because y- you could spend a f- few tens of millions of uh, dollars, you know, building this stuff up, um, and you have no idea how long these things will last. <laughs> um, but the, but also, you know, I, I'll, I'll point out uh, some of the other players in this space. Uh, Peter Levels was, I think, first to market, but then uh, uh, Lenza, the Lenza guys just outcompeted him on uh, price and distribution. There was like four or five, or I mean, there's probably like hundreds of these profile photo generators that came out. Right. And, you know, I, I saw, I want to say 
like 10 to 15 of them on, on product hunt. And it was crazy, like how they were all charging. I mean, I think Brian, you had a story about how, um, one of the top grossing app store apps was for this app called like chat GPT and GPT slash chat with GPT. I didn't get to do, there's a, there's, there's a ton of them. Yeah, exactly. They're flooding like the app store because again, there's all these kind of opportunists that are just throwing up these kind of wrappers on top of, you know, what is essentially a web page and then charging a subscription. It, which is you know horrible in any way. So so, but in terms of the what you're saying, Sean, I, I totally have seen that the same phenomenon, um, and it, it it does raise a question as to whether or not those prompts, which are kind of like game genie codes to date myself, I got the reference. The speed to cringe seems really really fast these days, and I don't know if it's because of TikTok. Like essentially, everyone had like really cool avatars, and then they were like, oh, now everyone could have them, so they're not actually that unique anymore. You know. Exactly. And couple that, right? So that's that's a top line. That's the revenue side. And then on the bottom line, you know, uh, just to bring this back a little bit to, to the, the discussion with Braden from VoiceFlow that we started the, this conversation with, um, it's not just data that you have to accumulate. It's also compute infrastructure. Um, <laughs> I have there's. I was just I, before this uh, call, I was actually looking at a, a paper from OpenAI. So they have, they've actually published a little bit of information about their infrastructure for training GPT three, and it is. Incredible. Uh, so, um, it, the cluster needed for OpenAI was the top five was the top five supercomputer in the world. It's two hundred eighty five thousand CPU cores, ten thousand oh. GP, uh, and it cost uh, uh, some people estimating about a hundred million dollars to build. Um, oh. So, not data. <laughs> it's also hardware. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I, this is a whole nother thing, and, and I got it. You got it. But uh, there has been this week. I've seen some sort of pushback where it's like, oh. You think crypto is bad for the environment in terms of the energy it uses. Wait till you find out what the sort of AI stuff. And and we've already heard Sam Altman say that it would make your eyes bleed to see the the cost just for one prompt and one question on on GPT. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll bring it I'll bring it home with this this comment. Right? Okay, yeah, this uh, AI versus uh, crypto thing. Um, there's a big difference between training and inference, and inference is is orders of um, so, uh, crypto is, um, you know, essentially burn energy for every transaction, whereas AI is pretty much train once, use infinitely, right? So th there is a uh, sort of fixed cost versus variable cost distinction. Well, that's interesting. Can you continue to evolve a model once it's trained? Is that how that works? Or is it sort of like once and uh, one and done? Right now, it is surprisingly primitive. It is one and done. Mm -hmm. You would find can re evolve as it as it trades. But so when so when a GPT four is coming out any day now, like literally, it's like we just throw that out, and this is the new. It's almost like it's almost like getting old versions of Windows or something. Like now we've got Windows ninety five. This is one we're using. <laughs> oh my god, GPT ninety five will be will be nuts. <laughs> I mean, Flippy is definitely going to make a, re a resurgence. Okay, all right. Listen, let's let's uh, we got to get out of here. Um, Sean, please promote anything i know you have a newsletter this is a, you know as we've referenced uh, sure uh you know i i was just honestly happy to be on because i'm a fan of the show and um you know want to give back um my newsletter for tracking ai stuff is lspace uh diaries is, is on substack um lspace.swix.io is the url you can follow me on uh, swix at twitter on or mastodon because and by the way on all the also on point.social. Let me be more clear about that. It's S-W-Y-X, as I said. You're pronouncing it, yeah. S-W-Y-X, yes. The four-character four, uh, thing. Yeah, it will, you're the expert at, at the audio medium. Yes, uh, Swix is my English and Chinese initials. But yes. thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on.
I, I referenced the comedy show in San Francisco. It is Saturday the 28th at 9.30 p.m. Uh, yesterday's show has a link to the tickets. However, so that's at 9.30, uh, January 28th, Saturday. Uh, what Chris and I thought we would do is, uh, let's call it seven, Chris, if, if that works. Uh, the Detour is apparently a bar that is directly across the street. Maybe we should reach out to the ownership or something and make sure that they're going to be open that day or something. But that's the plan as of right now is that at 7 p.m., um, that day, which is again, January 28th, uh, we would have, uh, any, any and all listeners, um, and I'll promote this again. Um, even if you don't buy tickets to the comedy show, which, you know, uh, who knows, could be terrible. Uh, but we, we're just going to do a really impromptu sort of cash. Well, I mean, just, just having you, you know, out to San Francisco, happens, <laughs> you know, like a good, like a, a whole change. Oh, people are going crazy. Uh, I'm going to have lunch with Sonal. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a, uh, the dark side. <laughs> there's all sorts of things happening when I've been, I haven't been there in three years since before COVID. So. Pick, I know. Pick podcast at the Minati. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, actually, Sonal and I need to talk about podcasting stuff because we had a call this week and we were comparing notes on things and we're, because you guys have heard that there's no ads on the show and whatever. So we're going to, mm. We're going to put our heads together on that. So. Exciting. Ben. All right. All right. Well, another great episode. Thank you for kicking off 2023. Uh, obviously, like we're just getting started and this year is going to be all about this stuff. So, you know, if you guys have uh, thoughts or feedback, please do uh, hit us up and obviously come see us on the 28th. Uh, I love Sean for coming on. I love Chris. I love everyone. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. I'm not going to